Welcome. I'm Jack Constantine, an undergraduate student at The Ohio State University studying finance. In partnership with the Keenan Center for Entrepreneurship, this interview series will feature student ventures that competed and won Ohio State's first ever President's Buckeye Accelerator. Today's venture we will be speaking with is Holocron Technologies. Representing Holocron is Adam Jensen and Tristan Yang. So the first thing I want you guys both to do, and we'll start with you, Adam, is give a little context to the listeners of kind of what your educational background is, um, and it will go from there. Yeah, so I was uh, born and raised in New Mexico, um, spent a couple of years at the University of New Mexico, uh, and then transferred as an undergrad uh, to Ohio State, um, spent a few years uh, working uh, under the United States Department of Defense, um, did some time at NASA, and uh, have worked at Sandia National Laboratories for an extended period of time uh, during my undergrad. So now I'm here at Ohio State. Awesome. And you, Tristan? So for me, I'm from Tampa, Florida. I went to high school down there. Um, Afterwards, I went to Columbia in New York. Uh, I studied international relations and American government. Um, I just graduated a month ago, um, but my experience kind of really, uh, like Adams, uh, revolves around national security. Um, I started uh, working press and comms at the White House freshman year, then afterwards uh, worked on a few political campaigns, uh, worked as the deputy campaign manager uh, for uh, Gus Arrakis, a congressman down in Florida, um, and then afterwards worked for the Department of Defense, uh, both in the capacity at Special Operations Command, as well as uh, just kind of the DOD within the intelligence community, and then afterwards uh, started working on Holocron. Awesome. So next, um... Whoever wants to go, feel free to jump in, but um, give a little context to the listeners about what Holocron Technologies actually is, because um, it's very fascinating and it might take a second to explain, but we have the time. At Holocron, we really see ourselves as the people that spearhead the OSINT open source intelligence revolution. Uh, We really strive to democratize open source information access, uh, invigorate a new perspective and passion towards transparency and security amongst people in our generation, and really revolutionize kind of the ways that we combat disinformation. Uh, We do that by really harnessing the power of our diversity and greeting uh, cutting edge innovation with uh, driven digital natives from across the country, which I think really makes us a team like no other to serve uh, the impetus of our movement and really to prioritize uh, national security at the forefront um, of academia. Awesome. So I know that your venture started with kind of a separation of you two. So what was the storyline of how you guys merged into one camp with Colocron as the name and kind of the whole nine yards? Yeah, so originally I was uh, working with a couple of individuals, also a multi-university effort. Um, a couple of guys that, uh, uh, from the University of Michigan and uh, University of Chicago were working with me to basically detect um, hidden cameras in a room. Uh, and there's a bunch of national security applications for that as well. Um, and uh, Tristan and I initially met. Uh, we were going to work in the same exact area. Um, basically met working in the intelligence community and um, had sort of crossed paths digitally uh, and sort of started up a conversation and um, eventually decided to merge our efforts and uh, that was sort of how Holocron came to be. And Holocron has a very extensive team. You guys have what now 20 or so people that have joined your team so far? Would you say Tristan is the number now? 
Uh, just about there, yeah, give or take. So with such a large team from various technical backgrounds and, and various prestigious institutions, like what do you look for when you were kind of choosing those specific candidates to join your team? Um, and what are those different attributes that they actually have? I think, I mean, number one is we kind of look for people who are sort of passionate about national security. Um, you know, part of the reason why we decided to start this thing up is because we had a passion for national security. Um, and we want to make a, a big impact in the space as young people. Um, not a lot of young people are sort of integrated into the national security or defense space as it is. Uh, so, you know, our sort of vision is to create a large presence in the space. And um, we're kind of looking for, you know, individuals who are excited about that mission, right? So political science majors, security and intelligence majors, um, computer scientists, engineers, data scientists, uh, what have you to sort of fill those roles. And, um, you know, we're really looking for that, the passion and also the competence um, and whatever their respective fields of studies are. So um, that's the way we kind of look at that. When did you realize or how did you realize that the problem you were attacking was so large kind of in this space that you live in? Yeah, so I think it uh, kind of started out with, um, you know, obviously – doing an analysis of how vast the vast quantities of information that exists on the internet that not a lot of people are taking advantage of on a big scale. Um, and really more recently, the war in Ukraine uh, caused us to really sort of reflect upon how powerful this could be and uh, how it could potentially save lives in the future. Um, Tristan, would you like to sort of add on to that? Um, yeah, definitely. I think, you know, Adam and I, kind of realized that there was a national security issue um, with just being able to process so much information and so much data through uh, the information explosion with the growth of the internet. Um, and that's been an issue, you know, that's, that's been kind of prolonged for, for a lot of years. And we just wanted to bring a lot of awareness to the subject. Um, and, you know, I, I definitely think Ukraine was really that tipping point for us. Um, really seeing, you know, the first uh, major conflict in the last 20 years that has uh, really allowed for social media to be at the forefront of that, uh, from Telegram to Reddit to Instagram. You know, uh, people have a front row seat to conflict. People have a front row seat of really open source intelligence in uh, the most raw form of seeing what really is unfolding, what really is you know going on in the most uh, objectively, uh, you know, in the in the most uh, kind of raw way. And so we thought, you know, while this is at the forefront of everybody's mind. Um, you know, this is an opportunity for us to not just, you know, talk about how open source intelligence is a way of, you know, observing, but uh, a way that we can pre uh, prevent um, tragedies from happening, from preempting, uh, you know, potential uh, conflicts and, and using it to provide situa uh, situational awareness um, for people uh, that really have these jobs in the most sensitive areas of government, academia, um, as well as the private sector. So you guys work in a very... I'll call it fragile environment in the sense that you're working with a lot of national security. And like you said, you could be saving lives um, in the very near future. What are some unique challenges that you guys face as a, a very tech heavy company and just the unique kind of atmosphere that you guys work in? Any thoughts, Tristan, and then I can get into kind of my thoughts as well. Yeah, I, I think definitely the, the biggest thing that we really need to uh, really confront is, you know, especially in the national security and the defense 
uh, sphere, you know, there, there are a lot of very, very seasoned companies um, out there. There are a lot of people that have a lot of experience, have, have, you know, not only necessarily served in an active duty role as a service member, but, you know, people that have been in the defense industry for a very long time. Um, and, and, you know, just coming at this from a perspective in which, you know, we, we talk about how we're digital natives, right? We're young people that are passionate about national security. Um, but one of the biggest hurdles that we really have to get over is, um, you know, allowing people to understand that, you know, though we may not have had so much experience uh, as some of the people in this sphere, um, you know, we, we do bring a perspective and we do bring um, technology and ideas and innovations that really could potentially change the world. Um, you know, and, and I think once we get over that hurdle, once we get people to really realize that, you know, uh, people our age can make a difference, then, you know, I, I think we're, we're golden, we're really solid. Um, and, and, you know, from there, um, you know, once we really kind of destigmatize what it means to be, you know, a young person or, or somebody that, that's kind of fresh in the field, um, then I think, you know, we can really make uh, some really great headwaves there. Yeah, and I sort of agree with Tristan's sentiment on that. Um, I just think uh, for me personally, and I think he can sort of attest to the same thing, is that we need more young people working in the defense sector. Um, there's a lot of individuals who just sort of leave, right? Maybe because of the cumbersome security clearance process or uh, the length of time it takes to get the foot in the door in some of these places to be able to actually sit down and do some work. Um, and you know, that translates over to the, our, you know, capabilities to innovate rapidly um, as a country, uh, not only necessarily in the weapons department, but um, in some of the key areas that will, you know, be incredibly important in the future, like quantum computing, cybersecurity, and artificial intelligence. Uh, we need to move fast and agile like a startup uh, if we expect to compete with our near peer adversaries in the future. Um, because they're quickly iterating, right? We have incredibly big walls to sort of take down or, or kick down in order to make anything meaningful happen, right? And so I think one of our biggest goals is, you know, to get a lot of young people interested in national security and make them feel like they can make an impact in the space. And I think um, kind of going on that, I think a big thing, right, is uh, not to say that defense and intelligence is really like this monolith, um, right, but we, we've also seen, you know, a lot of people that are that are really trying to push in this direction, right? You know, the DoD has set up things like the Defense Innovation Unit and the National Security Innovation Network um, that have been really instrumental in making us believe that, you know, even though it might be an uphill battle for us to really expand and, you know, get our feet wet in this industry, um, but they've they've really been kind of the confidence boost that have. Uh, not only kind of inspired us to keep going, but also, you know, making great connections, giving us great advice and kind of uh, giving us the necessary and the proper guidance to, to allow us to really understand how best we can tackle our problems and how best we can come about our solutions. Um, so, you know, it, it's not to say that defense is, you know, it, it is what it is, but to say um, more so that defense is evolving, but it, it is a, it's a slow process. Um, and, you know, we, we want to be able to be the, the first on the ground to be able to uh, make these innovations happen um, so that, you know, this slow turning ship, um, once it kind of makes that U-turn or once it kind of gets there, you know, we already have rapidly uh, formed capabilities that they can uh, already take advantage of and uh, leverage against near peer uh, adversaries. Awesome. I have a question when it comes to 
like the actual programming. So I think a lot of people misinterpret how long programming takes or, or what it takes, like the man hours and the people involved. Like what has been your your guys as a team um, journey to create? I know you're just getting your first prototype kind of all figured out. What has that been like trying to build that from scratch and uh, make it so that you kind of see the first iteration of your project come to life? Well, yeah, I mean, I think for something as ambitious as we're trying to construct right now, it's incredibly difficult, right, to sort of conceptualize and think about, okay, well, what is the user interface for this thing going to look like and what kind of data is it going to display and what are its capabilities, right, and how, from our previous knowledge, can we construct something and put it in front of someone uh, and make them think, okay, like, this has, there's some value to this. This is a... um, this is a thing that could be of use, right? Uh, so I think that customer discovery phase is difficult, of course, for any startup. And um, on the more technical side, it's coming up with all those requirements and doing an assessment of all the technologies that currently exist that, you know, how can we plug this into our existing environment or how should we manipulate this data? And uh, what sort of natural language processing model can we use here, right? So. It's, it's very much moving at a sort of rapid pace and, uh, you know, we're still in our infancy in that realm, but we have a lot of requisite sort of uh, capabilities that we can show off already that are decently impressive, um, in my opinion, and I think uh, in Tristan's opinion, and we have a lot to learn and uh, a lot to iterate upon. Awesome. I want to move on to talk about your experience with Boost Camp because this is the first ever year that it was has been structured like it is. And so you got you guys are the first winners, the first ones to go through it. So how did you first hear of Boost Camp? Because um, I know you guys weren't teamed up when you first heard about it, Adam. So like, what was your kind of reasoning or how did you find it in the first place? Yeah, so originally when I started making my more entrepreneurial push in Columbus, uh, I was talking to anybody and everyone, you know, and I still kind of am. And uh, I eventually got associated with the Keenan Center, talked to people like Scott Griffin and Cheryl Turnbull, um, and, you know, got notified about the boss competition and stuff. And, uh, you know, they had said, hey, well, we got this thing going on. We're, We're in the process of planning it right now. It's called the President's Buckeye Accelerator, um, and you should apply. And so I ended up applying um, uh, under the venture of, you know, under the impression that I was sort of going to be be in it with two other guys um, that were helping me do research on the hidden camera, you know, detection sort of stuff. Um, and then our merger sort of happened, and, uh, you know, I really saw the value in bringing all of the other guys on um, in, in Columbia, or at Columbia, sorry. Uh, and that's sort of how we, you know, got acquainted with the President's Buckeye Accelerator. And then, so from there, you joined the program and you kind of first went through it for a couple of weeks and eventually you kind of merged with Tristan and the rest of your team. So what was it like doing kind of that first round of pitching because you had team members um i think it was driving for was it from auburn that they they came in just for that first initial pitch yeah so uh we had a team member from auburn um 
who did the initial pitch with me. Uh, he was also there in the final round. Um, and then, of course, Tristan and Jared flew out from uh, New York City to be a part of that. But, yeah, uh, in the first couple of weeks, um, you know, of that sort of boot camp, uh, it was more of like the sort of customer learning lab experience that uh, Rev1 Ventures sort of puts you through. Um, and for everybody who's in the entrepreneurial space in Columbus, you know what Rev1 Ventures is, right? Uh, but yeah, so that was kind of my experience there. Uh, then we got Tristan and Jared on board uh, and a few other individuals. And uh, we just started going through the cycle of going through those weekly meetings, right? And you were there, you remember. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, we did our initial pitch. We didn't know what was going to happen. We didn't know what the judges were going to think about, you know, sort of this multi-university effort, uh, which is what we saw it in our eyes. And we ended up getting selected for that second round. So, um, and then going on to, you know, be where we are now. So what was it like to go from that first, second round? Because after that, it was kind of a push where you had, what, two and a half three weeks maximum to get ready for this final pitch competition. You had to structure, were people going to be flying in? What was your team going to look like? As well as make sure everybody was ready and that your product was ready as well. So like, what was that kind of sprint like for you guys? Yeah. So we spent a significant amount of time, um, you know, sort of thinking about all those factors, uh, you know, spending lots of time on uh, the pitch, right? Um, constructing the pitch deck, uh, going out and getting market validation, um, talking to people, uh, building mock-ups, right, for what a good starting point we thought was for our product in terms of a user interface. Um, I can definitely remember doing a lot of practice for those pitches, right? We spent hours and hours on calls with, you know, sort of advisors saying, you know, giving them our pitch and then having them uh, critique it. And uh, I, I, for the final round, ended up flying out to New York City um, and met up with Tristan and, and Jared to finalize some of the stuff for our final pitch. And then a week later, it happened. So there was a lot of, you know, moving components, and it definitely was decently stressful with, you know, midterms and finals going on. Um, but that's sort of the entrepreneurial grind, right? There's a lot of stuff happening, and stuff moves really quickly, and... Um, that's how things materialized, I guess. What was it like for you guys to kind of finally hear your name get called for the for the top six winners? Because you were the last one called, <laughs> and everyone was holding their breath to see who that last name would be. And I'm sure you guys, you, you had all the confidence in the world whenever I talked to you about um, how you guys would do. But what did it actually feel like for you and your team to realize your hard work had paid off? Yeah, I mean... Um... It was, it was pretty cool, you know. I had been, you know, I sort of pitched for the boss competition and uh, I had been involved at my other institution and a lot of, you know, entrepreneurial things and uh, have spent a long time failing and getting embarrassed in front of crowds and, uh, you know, <laughs> groups of people. And so to be announced as, like, one of the ones, one of the six was, you know, pretty, pretty awesome. Um you know, our, our team had, you know, worked incredibly hard to, to be able to be in this position, you know, and, um, 
so yeah, it was uh, it was great to be called. What did what did it feel like for you, Tristan, being a Columbia guy? Um, you guys are in New York City. We're in we're at a whole different institution. What was it like for you? <laughs> I'm curious. I mean, I think you know, obviously, it felt phenomenal. It felt great. Um, you know, but but at the end of the day, I think the biggest thing was you know just being able to physically see you know us together and, and cooperating and working as a team was was really that that thing that brought value to me. Um, you know, obviously, uh, it, it wasn't just us, but you know, people like Lily, Henry, other members of our team were there, um, and just being able to kind of uh, you know talk to them, chat with them, and you know work with them to you know the point that we got to was was really really important. And so you know, e even if we didn't win that day, um, you know, it would have been very fulfilling um, just to kind of have been there and you know been around the people that we've kind of assembled and worked so hard around. Um, so I think, you know, regardless of the outcome, I was, I was just happy to be there. Awesome. Awesome. What was your favorite part about boost camp? Because there's a lot of people that possibly are listening to this where they want to get in time from at Ohio state. They may not know where to start and it's a unique opportunity for them to get involved and maybe have half an idea, have a whole idea, but to like kind of get involved. So what would you say like you learned from boost camp and what you enjoyed and what would your, be your advice specifically for someone kind of on the fence? I think that there's like a unique sort of value to listening and gaining wisdom from people who have been on this earth a lot longer than you, right? And I think some of the people that they brought in, um, you know, talked about some of their experiences in entrepreneurship and just hearing about uh, all sorts of stuff that people have done in their past and like how they failed. Um, I think that's pretty valuable, you know, and uh, whenever any sort of young people have the opportunity to be able to listen to that kind of advice, I think that's huge. And um, I think that was one of the number one things for me is listening to guys like Greg and Warner and Dan Rockwell and uh, even Scott, you know, um, those guys have an incredible amount of experience. Uh, even a person like Tess Mateo, um, they just bring a lot to the table and have been involved in a lot of different things and uh, have their own unique experiences. And um, well, being able to listen to some of their advice and uh, take action upon it and sort of be encouraged to make the next step and pull the trigger, I think is the biggest part. Um, and it's all about execution when it comes down to it, right? And they were a huge sort of, I guess, boost, right? And no pun intended, right? I know it was called Boost Camp, but yeah, I think that was like the biggest takeaway for me was, uh, you know, getting some of that initial uh, business education and foundation for, for startups, uh, that initial curriculum, and then, you know, being able to listen to, to people who have who've been around, um, I think it's huge. Awesome. So I want to talk about entrepreneurship as a whole, because um, I don't know about Tristan, but uh, you're a first time entrepreneur, Adam. Correct. Yeah. So talk to me about, and, and Tristan, feel free to chime in, the, the balance between being a student and an entrepreneur, because it's like kind of like the student athlete thing where you're very much committed to both um, uniquely. And so it takes kind of that special attention um, and focus to be able to excel at both. So what was like that specifically for you? Um, 
Yeah, so I guess when I mean first-time entrepreneur, I mean the first, this is the farthest I've ever gotten in entrepreneurship. I can remember starting, you know, five different endeavors or ventures in, in uh, New Mexico and having each one of them fail. And every single time I got onto the next iteration, I got farther and farther and farther. Um, so I guess, I don't know, I would call myself a first-time founder in this instance, right? Uh, but, you know, being able to, well, I guess, I guess your question was, what are my thoughts on sort of balancing uh, between being a student and, and an entrepreneur? Um, you know, obviously the stuff that we're working on is incredibly important to me and I make it a, a big priority and it's something that sort of consumes me. It's something that I think about day and night. Um, and I'm always, you know, constantly thinking about how we can improve things or what I need to be doing to, to make us successful because as everybody knows, startups are, you know, total hell and it's super hardcore and uh, a lot of them fail. Um, but yeah, coming to the realization that you're going to have to spend a lot of time on, you know, this in order to make it successful is, is definitely something to take into consideration. And um, while you're doing it uh, as a student as well, kind of make things exceptionally difficult. But I think if you're truly passionate about what you're doing, um, you can do both very easily and uh, do great in both areas. Tristan? Uh, I'd say, you know, definitely being an entrepreneur is, is very, very doable um, when you're a student if, if you balance everything right. I think, you know, the, the biggest three words, right, is pick your battles. Um, you know, I think once you figure out how to really prioritize things, you can you can really hit that, you know, lockstep and, and get that rhythm going, you know. Um, uh, I'd like to think that the curriculum that I had at Columbia was was fairly rigorous, um, but you know, at, at a certain point, right when when you know, like Adam said, when you really become consumed by this really passion, this drive to to, to build something uh, that that ultimately is designed to better the world, um, you know, it, it's something that you kind of live, eat, breathe, and kind of just sleep on, um, you know, 24 hours of the day. Um, you know, I'm really happy that you know. Uh, being a national security focused company and being a political science major uh, does definitely kind of align uh, very closely to each other. So it means, you know, a lot of the things that you do, um, you know, your, your, your papers can be in, in the same realm, the same up the same alley um, and talking about similar things. You know, you can bounce ideas off of your professor. Um, you know, I think, you know, to be completely honest, I think probably being a student entrepreneur is the best opportunity to really be an entrepreneur because at the end of the day, right? I, I, I'd like to think that these are your most innovative years of life. Um, you know, not only are you young and passionate about the things that you do, but you know, you're also immersed in an environment in which you're with some of the most creative and talented minds that you know our generation can really bring. And so, you know, whether that's uh, whether that's you know developing software or you know trying to create a, a fintech startup or you know whatever you're trying to do, you know you better do it in college because you know it, it's a lot harder to find people that are that are as you know passionate about something or, or or so driven to kind of you know get started without you know having a lot of reservations uh, other than college. And so I, I would say you know the best time to really start a company is you know with people your age uh, while you're still in school. So that leads me kind of to wrap us up a little bit. So you guys are, of course, very ambitious college students. And um, Adam, you and I had a conversation a couple months ago, and you said something to the effect of that you wanted to 
help leave a legacy and inspire other students at Ohio State to step up to the plate and be the next top entrepreneur. So what are your guys' plans? What's the next steps? What are you kind of doing moving forward um, in the next couple of months and what's your kind of overall goal in the future? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the Keenan Center for Entrepreneurship is in its infancy, um, right? It's only been a couple of years since the coronavirus, since they've been setting up shop um, uh, from their initial inception. And uh, we have an opportunity to be a part of that. And I think you do too. Um, so I think we have some pretty big, exceptional, sort of high standards set upon us. Um, I'm going to be around at Ohio State for the next year. Um, so I'm gonna try to hit it out of the park, right? I'm gonna try to work as hard as possible and take advantage of you know, all the resources that the Keenan Center is throwing at us and, and um, you know, really try to work hard and uh, build out the foundation for what this could be in the future. You know? And I think you know, being one of the largest institutions in the country, uh, this could very quickly turn into one of the most, you know, one of the you know powerhouse sort of entrepreneurial institutions very very quickly like i was saying um and i take a lot of pride in, in being able to be a part of this first cohort and uh being able to have influence on that so with that being said uh, gotta work hard you know and uh don't know what's gonna happen but um we'll see we'll see it materialize here in the next you know eight or nine months tristan yeah i think you know what the Keenan Center really does is, is, is phenomenal work that, you know, equips, uh, you know, aspiring entrepreneurs with the exact tools and resources that they need to kind of uh, hit the ground running. And so I'd like to say, you know, looking externally, what the Keenan Center does is really setting us up um, to, to, to be in the position to uh, raise capital uh, within the next uh, year uh, to, to really kind of get traction from a customer standpoint. Um, we've been working very closely with the National Security Innovation Network. They have been phenomenal in, in uh, connecting us with people that uh, know the exact segment, have the experience in understanding what problem we're trying to solve and how we can best solve it. Um, as well as you know, setting the groundwork for you know, how we're gonna collaborate with uh, university institutions. Um, we look forward to really deploying our product within Ohio State uh, from you know, the national security simulation uh, you know, in, the, in the school of law to uh, really being a part of uh, you know, expanding how research can be really done, leveraging open source intelligence. And you know, I think that really sets the framework for how we're gonna do that um, you know, when we start talking to people at Columbia. Um, to some of the other institutions that we have members uh, on our team from, you know, University of uh, Chicago to uh, potentially uh, UT Austin, uh, UCLA, and all of these major research institutions uh, that we can really kind of create an academic consortium that can fundamentally disrupt the way that we do research um, and can fundamentally disrupt the way that we equip the people uh, that work downrange and the people that are, uh, you know, the, the, the people that see conflict and, you know, try to uh, either prevent conflict or, you know, uh, assert America's uh, hegemony uh, across the sea or, you know, uh, at home. We, we see ourselves as, you know, the people that can really fundamentally change the way that we uh, understand intelligence because it's not just reserved for the three letter agencies that we uh, don't really get to peer into, but, you know, open source intelligence is for everyone, um, you know, from, from business to academia. Um, to the government. And, and we really want to kind of democratize access to that. And so, you know, over the course of this next year, we, we really look forward to seeing what we can accomplish in that. Um, and I, I, I think, you know, I genuinely believe that we have the best team uh, set forth to really uh, embark on that adventure. And I'm looking forward to see what we can accomplish there. 
Very well said, Tristan. Um, gentlemen, I really appreciate your time today and being able to share uh, what Holocron's kind of doing, what their mission is, and I'm really excited to see what you guys do. So um, that's it for today for the Presidential Buckeye Accelerator podcast series. I'm looking forward to talk to our next venture. Thank you, guys. Thanks.